If you would, at this time, take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 12. And as you're turning there, if you're able to physically stand, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Mark in chapter number 12. And we're going to read verses 18 all the way down through verse 27, a little lengthier passage here. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, the Word of God says this, Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren. The first took a wife, and dying left no seed. Second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise, and the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because you know not the Scriptures? neither the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto them, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, the God of the living. He therefore do greatly err. Father, thank you for the Word of God, and thank you for this passage that teaches us quite a bit, and help us, Lord, to learn the lessons found within this passage today. I pray, Lord, that we would be good hearers of the Word, but more importantly, help us to be good doers of the Word. And I pray that we would allow the Word of God to change us. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would work greatly in our midst today. Pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to look at the ridiculous resurrection riddle. Now, here we go again. Yet another conspiracy attempt against our Savior, but this time a third group of people. Remember, the first attempt was from the Sanhedrin as they questioned his authority and basically uh, asked, who do you think you are doing all of these things, coming into the temple and, and cursing the fig tree? Who do you think you are? Well, Jesus silenced them, remember, when he brought up the question of the baptism of John, whether it was from heaven or from men, and, and uh, he stumped them as they tried to stump him. Well, then last week we saw that the second wave came from the odd couple of the Pharisees and the Herodians as they asked about taxes. And uh, again, it wasn't the Savior who brought up taxes, but they did, and, and uh, we looked at that last week. Well, now here on this third attack, there's yet another group that comes after him, the Sadducees, in verse number 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees. And it's almost as if, again, you know, the, uh, the Sadducees are saying, well, you guys failed. Let me at them. I think we've got the perfect thing to bring up that's going to tear him down. He's going to have zero answer for this. Of course, uh, they were very foolish in their thinking. 
Um, now, as we go through this passage, we're going to learn about this ridiculous resurrection riddle, all right? Let's first notice this morning the testing of the Sadducees, or the test of the Sadducees. In verse number 13, it or verse 18, it says, Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and they asked him, saying... And once again, they're not after information. They're here to try to test him, to try to trip him up, to try to uh, get him to uh, say something that would allow people to take him uh, by force. Now, before we get to this actual ridiculous situation that they bring up here in verses 19 down through verse 23, uh, we we do need to understand who the Sadducees were. Now, the Sadducees are not mentioned near near as often in Scripture as the Pharisees. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only time that they are mentioned. Uh, But still, the fact remains, the Sadducees were a very well-known and influential group in that day. And even though they were a minority among the Jews, the Sadducees possessed tremendous authority. So everybody knew who the Sadducees were. They controlled the priesthood among the Jewish people, with all the high priests and chief priests being part of the the Sadducees. And they held a majority within the Sanhedrin, the ruling council among the Jews. They they were the ones who controlled the commerce within the temple and uh, regulating what was brought in and sold within the, the temple grounds. The Sadducees were, as a result, very wealthy, and they were also favorable to the Roman authorities. Along with the Pharisees and Herodians, the Sadducees hated Jesus and wanted to completely destroy Him. The Sadducees may have enjoyed great wealth and authority, but they lacked the favor or approval from the common Jew. Uh, Most of the common people viewed them as arrogant, rude, and condescending to the general public. The Sadducees and the majority of Jewish people also disagreed on many points of doctrine. And that leads me here to this first thought under uh, the test of the Sanhedrin here, or or the Sadducees, their position. Uh, What did the Sadducees believe? What was their position? Well, verse 18 gives us a little insight, and really the biggest aspect of what they believed is found here in verse number 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. See, the Sadducees rejected the doctrine of resurrection. They denied uh, the resurrection of the body, the existence of angels, and miracles. In fact, their denials of all supernatural occurrences were more numerous than their affirmations. They claimed that Moses did not write about any of these doctrines in his the first five books of the Bible. And we're going to discover that their question was motivated by their disagreement with the teaching of Jesus in this particular doctrine on resurrection. The Sadducees were very liberal in their theology, being as compared to the Pharisees, who were very conservative in their theology. Now, both erred greatly, but at least the Pharisees held the Scriptures in high regard. The Sadducees only embraced the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they held the idea that true doctrine could not be based upon what the prophets or other writers of the Old Testament had written. That's dangerous right there. Because remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
So an approach like the Sadducees had to Scripture is always dangerous, leading to false doctrine being believed and promoted. So we must consider the Word of God in its entirety, studying the whole counsel of God in order to fully comprehend biblical doctrine. Taking one verse out of context and forming a, a doctrine is, is, is a very uh, sloppy and dangerous and heretical way to form doctrine. Now, here's uh, what Dr. Alan Carr said about the beliefs of the Sadducees. He said, They believed in the existence of God, but they rejected everything else that was of a supernatural nature. They did not believe in demons, angels, or the devil. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in heaven or hell. They did not believe in a future judgment. They did not believe in life after death, nor did they believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that is why they were, you were waiting for this, sad you see. It wasn't me who said that, so don't blame me for the bad joke, okay? Dr. Alan Carr. Although you can't talk about the Sadducees without throwing that obligatory joke in here. They could not find these doctrines in their reading of the Pentateuch, so as a result, they rejected them out of hand. So that's a little bit about their position, and it's important for us to understand what they believed or what they didn't believe. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. All right? But notice here not only their position, let's look at their purpose here. And once again, these people, as they come to Jesus, had zero desire to learn and really hear what he had to say. They wanted to trip him up, and in this case... <clears throat> destroy him by blowing a hole in his doctrine. And they thought, hey, if we can discredit his teaching on the resurrection, we can totally take him down. Now, once again, as these Sadducees come face to face with our Savior, they were so close to the truth, looking at him in his eyeballs. They were standing right in front of him, yet they totally missed it. In other words, here's the deal. Being close to the truth does not automatically mean that someone will receive that truth. Think about Judas again. A man who walked and talked with our Savior for three and a half years was so close to the truth and yet still chose to reject the truth. I still can't help but think that there could be someone in the church house today who has been so close to the truth but has still chosen to reject it. You being here today is not a guarantee that you've received it. So maybe you've been around the truth for a long time. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home and your parents believed and, and, and you're in church today and you're hearing the truth. But again, being around the truth doesn't mean that you've received the truth. So are you like the Sadducees who are right there face to face with the truth and still have chosen to reject it? If that's you, I want to encourage you today to receive the truth. Because I want to remind you what the words of our Savior, when He said this, For unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. Those of us who've heard the truth multiple times, there's a lot more accountability that we're going to have at the judgment day than those who never heard the truth. God's going to say to you, hey, you heard the truth. You grew up in a Christian home. You, you were around it all the time, and you were there at Cornerstone Baptist Church 
on Sunday, September 4th, 2022. You heard the truth, but you didn't receive it. We're accountable. Unto whom much so, whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. So for those who are given opportunity after opportunity to receive the truth, but because of their pride and hard, wicked heart chose to reject it, there will be added accountability to them. And if that's you, there'll be added accountability to you. So the purpose here of these Sadducees, they were not after uh, a real dialogue, a real conversation. They were asked after to try to take him down, and they were so close to the truth, but completely missed him. The Sadducees desired to take the Lord down by blowing the doctrine of the resurrection to smithereens with a ridiculous hypothetical scenario. Now, it is within the realm of possibility, but it's pretty ridiculous. And let's go ahead and dive into this crazy situation that they, uh, they used. Now, this scenario in verse, uh, verse number 19, they really quote from Deuteronomy, from the Mosaic Law, the Pentateuch. They were pretty familiar with the Pentateuch. And so they quoted a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse number 5 and 6, which provide, provided, long story short, they, it provides for the widow by assigning her to her dead husband's brother. Now, my brother is here today. And so what would happen is if I died and my, hus my brother was still single, and I hadn't had children, then he would then take my spot as Julie's husband. And then hopefully they would have children and the name would continue on. That's what would happen. And uh, the Mosaic Law allowed for this and it provided for that widow instead of just being cast aside as many cultures did at that time once they were a widow. They basically were, many times I was reading about in one commentary, they would just uh, leave them for dead for the wolves to go and, 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 and kill these widows. But here God in His uh, grace even provided for these widow women in this way. And many of us would remember the story of Ruth and the kinsman redeemer. This is all based off of this principle uh, found in Deuteronomy chapter 25 where uh, Boaz, as the kinsman, would come and, 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 and take uh, Ruth to be, um, to be his wife. And so, um, anyway, here were these two. Let's go ahead and dive in here in, in verse number 20. And let, let's walk through this very quickly here. And it is a ridiculous situation. Uh, very unlikely that this would happen, but, and, and kind of, Kind of humorous almost as we, as we walk through this. Okay, verse number 20 says, Now there were seven brethren, the first took a wife. And so here were these two lovebirds who got married. Now sometime after the wedding, the husband died and they didn't have any children. So these brothers, one by one, married this woman to be obedient to the law of Moses. And can you imagine being this woman? The sorrow she must have felt with all of her husbands dying without any children. I mean, all the funerals of her husbands that she was having to go through and the tears, and, and, and then it was like, okay, then we have a wedding. But also, could you imagine what the brothers were thinking? As time went by. The second one was like, oh, that's too bad. The firstborn died. 
I'll, I'll step up. I mean, it's, it's my place. I'm the second born. I'll step up and, uh, and marry Sally. Well, he dies. The third guy's like, third time's a charm. This one's going to work. Like, I'm the forgotten one. I'm the third one. For sure, this is going to work. I'll show you how it's done, guys. He steps up and marries. He dies. The fourth one's like, I kind of see a pattern developing. <laughs> and, and, and not a good pattern. I'm not real excited about the wedding. But he bravely steps up and marries this woman, vows to be committed to her. Well, he croaks. The fifth guy is like, what am I going to do? I guess I need to do this. He steps up, and the seventh guy, I mean, it's like, after going through all these weddings, funeral, the, the, it was just a crazy, vicious cycle of all these weddings and funerals, and, and the seventh brother, I mean, he's the baby of the family, and he's like, this is totally a death wish. It's suicide to go marry this woman. And he does. And it's... It's preposterous. It's ridiculous, as I said. But these brothers, one by one, courageously step up to the plate, knowing that it very well could be a death sentence. Well, the seventh one and youngest brother reluctantly and bravely marries this woman after going through six other weddings and the same amount of funerals for his brothers. And this time, the same thing happened, and yet something different happened. Again, no children were born. But this time, the woman died. Now, here comes the punchline. And can you hear the sarcasm in the voice of these Sadducees? And, and we're reading here, and I'm going to just use a little imagination on the sarcasm that must have come across as they ask this question. They, they of course, just like the other waves of conspiracy against Jesus, no doubt had this... Um, had this rehearsal before they went and approached the Savior. And, and they're like, okay, who's going to be the one who's going to ask the question? And, and, and let's hear you say it a few times. I want you to be care comfortable saying it so that it comes across real genuine, you know. And so, anyway, verse, verse, verse 22, it says, And the seven had her, left her no seed, and last of all, the woman died also. And here comes the punchline. And they all kind of leaned in for this one, I'm sure, in verse 23 in the resurrection, which again, they didn't believe. So I'm sure it was, they may have even put air quotes around it. I don't know. Probably not. That's more of a, our culture thing. But in the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And I'm sure after they said that, it was kind of like, Mic drop, we got you. Like, you're never going to be able to answer this question. This is a riddle that is beyond you, Jesus. And they were probably like elbowing, good work, man. Hey, that went out, that was perfect. You said it exactly like we rehearsed. This was awesome. And they thought, got him. There's no way he's going to get out of this one. And so the testing of the Sadducees, but the story doesn't end there. 
Let's go to second, the teaching of the Savior. Verse 24, how does Jesus respond to them? He goes, oh, guys, you got me on that one. No, that's not what he says here. Jesus very calmly, and as I referred to last week, the composure of our Savior. Yes, he was also in complete composure here too. But uh, he goes and says in verse 24, Do you not therefore err because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? First, Jesus nails them with this indictment in verse 24 about their lack of understanding of the Scriptures. But then in verse 25, he proceeds to teach with conviction about the resurrection and marriage. Uh, notice verse 25. He says this, For when they shall rise from the dead. Now notice he didn't say, If they shall rise from the dead. See, it is a fact. And he said, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, which are as the angels which are in heaven. So uh, the resurrection is a fact and doctrinal truth, but then Jesus goes on to teach on marriage in heaven. When they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. So here's the truth. There is no marriage in heaven. Now, this is difficult for people to understand, especially for those who lost their spouse and are looking forward to being reunited with them in glory. So there, there, there will be an, indeed a reunion, and we will recognize each other in glory, but we will not be married in heaven. It's a different relationship. Now, evidently, we won't have that desire for one another in the sweet by and by. And heaven will have the pure, holy desire to worship the Lord in, 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 in entirety. And we will be brothers and sisters worshiping the one who saved us by his grace. Miss Julie, I'm going to ask you to come on up to the platform. I want to kind of help you understand the difference. I'm going to kind of illustrate a little bit of what, give you a little inside peek as to how we were when we were dating. When we would uh, go on dates, we wouldn't sit next to each other. We would sit across the table from each other. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to have, like, I didn't want my neck to be hurting as I looked at her. And I wanted to look at her because I really thought she was beautiful. And even to this day, she's more beautiful. Okay. But this was our relationship. And I would, I would just stare at her and have those googly eyes toward her, make her feel really uncomfortable. And looking back on it, <laughs> looking back on it, it was a little creepy, actually. <laughs> like, I, I'm willing to admit that. But. Um, but, but I really just was like, man, I was enthralled with her beauty. And I just thought, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I'm sorry. I forget. I'm supposed to be preaching right now, but you're really distracting me. Okay. <laughs> okay, but this, this, was our, this, this, is our, this is our relationship. And, and we enjoy, I enjoy looking at her. I don't know if she looks, she probably doesn't enjoy looking at me. Uh, 
hopefully she she does usually wear glasses and needs to, but she's not. And there's probably a good reason for that. She wants me to be kind of blurred out, you know. <laughs> but anyway, but we look at each other and we enjoy each other and we love each other and we like each other. And it's a good relationship. It's a wonderful marriage God's given us. Okay, but see, go ahead and stand up if you would. When we get to heaven, this is not how we're going to be in heaven. Oh, you're so beautiful. And she might say, well, you're so strong and handsome. Okay, she's never one time said that, but anyway. <laughs> but, but we're not going to be doing this in heaven like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you're here. I just love you. You're just my wife. You're just so sweet and so beautiful. That's not what the emphasis is in heaven. In heaven, we're not going to be face-to-face. We're going to be turning to him and enthralled with his beauty, his strength, and his glory. And we're going to be worshiping him. I want to be by her, but it's not going to be the same as, oh, one eternal date. That's not what heaven is. We're not going to go and, you know, hold hands and walk by the crystal sea and go fishing there. And um, maybe if it's frozen and we can play hockey there, I don't know. Um, But we're not going to be doing any of that stuff. It's going to be all about him and our relationship with him. It's going to be not this face-to-face, it's going to be us looking at him. Okay, thank you, you could be seated. And by the way, you are beautiful. See, heaven is going to be a little different than what it is here. And, and, and our marriage here, and, and Julie and I were talking about this uh, yesterday a little bit, and the, the joy of our marriage, we, God's given us a good marriage. It's not perfect, because uh, I'm not perfect. And, and, but it has been a blessing and has brought us both tremendous joy. And that's not going to be in heaven. So that's kind of sad, maybe at first glance, right? Because, hey, I really enjoy my marriage with my wife. I enjoy all the aspects of our marriage. And that's not going to be a part of heaven, then heaven's not going to be that great. No, see, all those joys that God gives us in, within marriage are merely a shadow pointing to what God has for us in heaven. Because, see, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And this is just our marriage here on earth is just really preparing us for the greater marriage that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. See, that's what Jesus is saying here is, he's like, you got it all wrong. There's no marriage in heaven. There's not going to be like, okay, well, which one of you is going to be her wife? You got it all wrong. Look, when we get to heaven, we're going to be as the angels. We're not going to be concerned about who's your girlfriend and who's your wife and all that. We may recognize, I think we're going to recognize each other. Uh, But it's not going to be the same. We're not going to be going, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Let's continue where we left off. No, now we're going to start our new life as as the bride of Christ together. And that's what he teaches us here. So the teaching of the Savior. 
And he teaches these Sadducees and us about the fact that the resurrection is true, and he tells us about, the mar- about marriage in heaven. Then we see thirdly here the truth of the Scriptures. Verse 26, he continues on, and he says, By the way, it's touching the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. And what do the scriptures say about the resurrection? Now, in the Old Testament, now we know that in the New Testament, there's tremendous passages regarding the resurrection. But in the Old Testament, which is what they had at that point, the truth of the resurrection is found in several places. Uh, Let me give you just a couple of them real quickly this morning. First, if you would just turn to Job chapter 19 very quickly. Job chapter 19. If you find the book of Psalms, it's the book right before Psalms, the book of Job. Job 19, verse number 23, he says this, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. But notice verse 26. So we know that, The Redeemer lives. What about the resurrection of just regular people? And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. See, the resurrection is taught in the Scriptures. And by the way, uh, the book of Job was, uh, many, many Bible scholars believe, the very first book of the Bible written. Now, we know that it's not the first one in the canon of Scripture, but it is uh, the first one probably written. And uh, Job says in verse 26, Yet in my flesh I shall see God after I'm dead. So there is a resurrection. Now, what else? Daniel chapter number 12. You don't have to turn over there, but the Bible says this. Many of them, verse, verse number 2 of Daniel 12 And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So in Daniel, we find in one of the prophets a reference to the resurrection. And what about the three resurrections that uh, took place in the Old Testament? One that took place during the ministry of Elijah, and then two that happened in connection with Elisha. So in the Old Testament, we see this over and over again. Oh, but remember, the Sadducees only believed the Pentateuch. They rejected everything else. So guess where the Lord Jesus takes them? Not to Job, not to Daniel, but he takes them right smack dab in the middle of the Pentateuch. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 6. So it's touching the dead that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses? I love the wisdom of our Savior because he knew that's the place that they held to. He said, in the book of Moses, that was a little jab like, hey, I'm going to get you right where you are. How in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. It's Exodus 3 and verse number 6, in case you're wondering. 
So he says this, and how is this a reference to uh, the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection? Well, when God appeared to Moses there at the burning bush, he said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He did not say, I was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is currently at the moment that he was talking to Moses. And by the way, he was also currently the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob at the moment Jesus was saying this to the Sadducees. Now at that point, Jacob had been dead for 200 years. Isaac had been dead for 225 years, and Abraham was dead for 330 years. The point was that they were not dead at all, that they were very much alive, that they had resurrected in, 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 in spirit form in, in, in the presence of God. I currently am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, yes, their bodies are dead, but their spirits still are living, and uh, the resurrection is fact. These men were alive at the time God spoke to Moses, and they're still alive even to this day. The resurrection is true. The Savior said it, and the Scripture said it too. So the Lord used the truth of Scripture to completely obliterate their ridiculous and lame attempt to discredit the doctrine of the resurrection. Scriptures. Well, let's look fourthly this morning at the takeaways for the saints. What should we do with this message? It's easy again to look down our nose at the Sadducees and, and say, how could you come up with a ridiculous riddle like this, thinking that that's going to discredit the Lord? Yeah, that's not going to work. But what he said to them in verse 24, and also he repeated it in verse 27, Do ye not therefore err, because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. In verse 27, ye therefore do greatly err. So what should we do with this message? To avoid erring like the Sadducees did. First of all, we need to know the Scriptures. Know the Scriptures. Jesus said that the biggest error in the Sadducees was that they did not know the Scriptures. The Sadducees were totally ignorant of the Scriptures, but it was also a willful ignorance. They chose to reject it. They chose to, uh, they had their thoughts and their beliefs, and nothing was going to change them, not even the Scriptures. In, Hosea, in Hosea, Hosea's day, there was also an epidemic of a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. I'm afraid that a lot of God's people in this day and age are filled with all kinds of knowledge but we don't have the knowledge of God and knowledge of the Scriptures. And when that's the case, we therefore do greatly err. 
Oh, we may have all understanding on finances and the world events and politics and, and, and all the things that, uh, in this world, but if we don't know the Scriptures, we are going to greatly err. By the way, these Sadducees had zero excuse for being ignorant of the Scriptures. They had them. They had access to them. But listen, we have zero excuse for being ignorant of the Scriptures as well. Because they had access to them. We have more access to the Scriptures than any other generation in the past. With all the technology, I mean, we have multiple devices that have the Bible on them. Well, are we taking time to access and open those apps? Or is that one, if we were to check your screen time, see other apps that have a lot more prominence as far as time goes than the Word of God? You say, well... Pastor, you don't, you don't really understand my schedule. I'm really busy. And I just really don't have time for the Scriptures. Can I say this in all kindness and love and as much tact as I can muster? If you're too busy to be in the Scriptures, you're too busy. And you need to tweak your schedule so that you can make time for what's most important. And I'm telling you, the Word of God is that important. It's God's love letter to us. It's God's instruction book, basic instructions before leaving earth. Maybe you've heard that little acronym on the word Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. Well, we better know what those instructions are. We got to get in the book. I'm too busy because I'm on Facebook. Well, if you have time for Facebook, you better get, as we heard in Bible college so many times, better get your face in the book. Okay. Now, I wasn't in Bible college when Facebook was around, but when I came back to uh, youth conferences, because I am old, but we have time for Facebook, we better have time to put our face in his book. Now, it's kind of a trite thing, but it's so true. There's a man in uh, Kansas City. I've shared this story a few times with you, but it fits well here. A man in Kansas City was severely burned and injured in an explosion. Evangelist Robert Sumner tells about him in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. This victim's face was badly disfigured. And as a result of this injury, he lost, this accident, he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was a brand new Christian, and one of his greatest disappointments in all of this was that he could no longer read the Bible. Then he heard a story about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille, but much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had also been destroyed by the explosion. But one day, though, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters. And he could feel them with his tongue. And like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time Mr. Sumner wrote his book, the man had read through the entire Bible four times with using his tongue. So, friend, what is your excuse again? 
for not reading God's word and knowing the scriptures? I don't think we have one, do we? So tomorrow as you wake up, why not set your alarm for 10, 15 minutes before you normally do so that you can spend time reading God's love letter to you? Say, I don't, know, I don't get a lot out of it. I don't understand it. My friend, just start and just be faithful. And you'll be amazed at what God does teach you as you stay faithful in his word. We need to know the scriptures. And if we don't, we will surely greatly err as the Sadducees did. So what's our takeaway? We need to know the scriptures. But then secondly, we need to be teachable to the scriptures. Be open to the truth of the scriptures. The Sadducees had the truth right in front of them. And yes, even in the Pentateuch, even in their precious books of Moses. I'm not trying to say that sarcastically to downplay them, but that's what they held to. And, and even in that, the doctrine of the resurrection was found right there in clear black and white. But because it didn't fit in their little box, they chose to reject it. They weren't teachable. And many of us or many people have preconceived ideas and notions and, and beliefs and uh, not all of them are bad, not all of them are good. But listen, uh, what, remember what Paul said in, in Romans 3 and verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. So here's the deal. His word is the authority, and if it by chance contradicts your belief and your opinion, then I hate to tell you this, but you're wrong and the Bible is right. And if that's me, I'm wrong and the Bible's right. This book right here trumps anything else. Say, well, that's not what my church says. This book trumps your church. This church trumps anything that I may ever preach. If there's a contradiction, go with the Bible and cast me aside. This book is the authority and be teachable to the scriptures. Well, I don't believe in this, and I don't believe in that. Well, if the Bible says it, you better kind of change your beliefs. And see, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and of course, that's why they were sad, you see. Um, but the Scriptures teach it. And, the, and the, in, that, in that passage, that, or those section of, uh, of Scriptures that they held on to, it taught it in there, and they weren't willing to receive it. Be teachable to the Word of God. All of us need to be teachable. Well, I'll say, well, that's not what my Bible college taught. If it's in the Bible, we've got to go with His authority. The Bible only authority. We believe that as Baptists, don't we? Not tradition. Not, well, that's not what my former pastor said, and, and I'm sure he was a good brother. But if the Word of God contradicts what your former pastor said, your former pastor is wrong in that area. I'm not trying to be... Uh, disrespectful at all, but I, I am trying to hold up the authority of the Word of God. Be teachable to the Scriptures. Thirdly, obey the Scriptures. See, it's not enough for us to just know what the Scriptures say. We must then also obey the Scriptures. Trust and know the Scriptures. 
and believe the Scriptures. Uh, the song says, trust and obey the Scriptures. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. James 1.22, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I think all of us want to be blessed in our deeds. Well, one way to have that happen is if we're in God's word, we're looking at it, and we're letting it change us. And there's too many people who are like, well, this is just who I am. This is my personality. This is how I've always been. And we come to God's word and it says, hey, you need to change. And you're like, well, but this is how I've always been. God's word says, but you need to change. What are we going to do? Are we going to obey God's word? Or are we going to be like the person looking in the mirror going, wow, I need to do some work here. <laughs> like, seriously. And I did that this morning, and there's not much I can do with this. This is all there is, all I can do. But I'm telling you, if you go and sometimes when I eat pizza, I have like pizza sauce on my face after I eat pizza. Or eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I get peanut butter and jelly all over my beard. I look in the mirror, and I'm like, whoa, I need to probably wipe that off. Well, most Christians look in the mirror of God's Word and say, I see things that need to be done, but uh, I ain't willing to do it. Don't be like that. Change. Obey God's word. Joshua 1, 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous, God encourages Joshua to do, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it from the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. There was a TV camera crew who was on assignment in southern Florida, and they were filming the widespread destruction of Hurricane Andrew way back in 1992. When one scene amid the devastation and debris stood one house on its foundation. The owner was cleaning up the yard when the reporter approached, Sir, why is your house the only one standing? Reporter asked, I mean, how did you manage to escape the severe damage of the hurricane? Well, I built the house myself, the man replied, but I also built it according to Florida State Building Code. When the code called for two by six trusses, I used two by six trusses. And I was told that a house built according to code could withstand a hurricane. And so I did. And it did. So here's the deal. God's given us a code to build our lives upon. Are we going to obey the code or say, I know a better way? I'm going to cut some corners. No. If we take the word of God and obey him, God's going to use us and, and bless, bless that. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and doeth them. I will liken him unto wise man which built his house upon a rock. Some of you are singing the children's song right now. 
And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? Because it was founded upon a rock. But everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The difference was, both knew the Scriptures. Only one obeyed the Scriptures. Only one did the Scriptures. And they were blessed. Which one are you going to be? D.L. Moody said, The Scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. So I want to encourage us today, as we look at these Sadducees, and instead of just kind of being so critical of them, kind of look within and say, Am I a Sadducee at times? Sometimes I greatly err because I don't know the Scriptures. Do I greatly err because I'm not teachable to the Scriptures? Do I greatly err because I'm not willing to be obedient to the Scriptures? Maybe there's some Sadducees in the room today that need to get right with God. I know at times I can be a Sadducee. And it is, if we fail to do all those things, we will be sad, you see. I don't want any one of us to be sad. I want us to be blessed and, and to be blessed in our deed and to, to, to be safe from the storms of life. It's only going to be if we know the Scriptures, we are teachable to them, and we obey them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for the opportunity for us to examine this passage of Scripture, this ridiculous resurrection riddle. How unlikely that would have ever taken place, but... Even still, Lord, we're thankful for your wisdom to obliterate that crazy argument. And Lord, I thank you for the truth of the Scriptures that really blow their argument out of the water as well. Lord, help us, though, to not greatly err like the Sadducees did. Help us instead, Lord, to know the Scriptures. Help us, Father, to be teachable to the Scriptures. Help us to obey the Scriptures, to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word.